0: So first off, your energy stores, are, or it's for lack of a better with putting it completely depleted, right? I mean, you use up everything you have and then some, which is why you need to replenish on during the race. You get a significant amount of muscle breakdown. You see things like your total CK, which is one of the enzymes that goes up in your bloodstream with muscle breakdown. That can go up incredibly high after a marathon, and it could stay high for, you know, days to a week or more after the marathon. Even after the muscle soreness is gone, you can still have elevation of that.
1: If you're an avid runner and looking for help to understand the science, simplify the complicated and remove hurdles so that your next run is not only fun and fulfilling, but also fuels you with passion and purpose, then you're in the right place. RunnerClick presents the Passionate Runner with your host, me, Whitney Hines. And welcome to episode 36 of Runner Clicks, the Passionate Runner Podcast. I am your host, Whitney Hines. I'm a lifelong runner, a certified running coach, and founder of themotherrunners.com, a resource for moms who run. And today, we get to chat with Dr. Todd McGrath about running back-to-back marathons, the good, the bad, and everything in between. And he gives some really, really good advice on how to recover faster, if that's your goal, And how to really maximize the time in between your marathons So you set yourself up for success. Uh, but spoiler alert, marathons are very demanding. And so for you to think that you can race both marathons, it's not super likely, not impossible, but not super likely. Uh, but we'll hear why in a minute. Some more about Dr. McGrath. He is a primary sports medicine physician at the Hospital for Special Surgery in New York. He's also an endurance athlete. He works with runners of all levels, including Elite to the Weekend Warrior. He also served as the team physician for the U.S. Soccer's national teams. He's also been the team physician at the high school, college, and professional level. Dr. McGrath has a strong personal and professional interest in endurance athletes, He has competed on the national and international level as a triathlete, was a multiple-time USA Triathlon All-American, competed at the Ironman Triathlon World Championships, completed eight Ironman-length triathlons, and he represented the U.S. at the ITU Long Course Triathlon World Championships. So yeah, knows a little bit about endurance sports. As time permits, he continues to compete at a high level. His experiences, in addition to his professional training, give him a unique understanding of the endurance athlete and their medical care. So we are going to get to our interview with Dr. McGrath after this short message from our sponsor, Runner RunnerClick.
0: If you are an avid runner and looking for help to understand the science, Simplify the complicated and remove hurdles so that your next run is not only fun and fulfilling, but also fuels you with passion and purpose, then you are in the right place. RunnerClick presents the Passionate Runner with your host, Whitney Hines.
1: Hey, Todd, it's great to see you.
0: You too. Thanks.
1: Thank you so much for being on. So obviously I want to know your medical expertise on this topic, but before we get into that, you are an endurance athlete or you you say you were an endurance athlete, but well, I don't know if I buy that story.
0: <laughs> yeah, I am. I have been for years. I got into bike racing in high school and triathlons in college and, and I finished eight Ironman races. I've done you know, quite a few triathlons. I've run a few marathons here and there. And mostly now I run around my work schedule. I'm not doing as many trials as I used to, but I still run a bit and still try to run on a regular basis to so do something on a regular basis. And you know, when time permits, I still love going out for long back rides.
1: Oh, I love that. And I love as a doctor that you understand the endurance athlete.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. It's a unique population medicine. and one particularly in sports medicine, it's a unique population because it, uh, it hasn't always been the focus of the sports field. So yeah.
1: Awesome. And so, how did you decide that you wanted to be a sports medicine doctor?
0: So, I took a little bit of a circuitous route to get here. I did. So, I'm emergency medicine trained. I did my residency in emergency medicine. I did, and I practiced in the ER in some the northeast there's, there's urban populations for ten years, predominantly in the Philadelphia area. And then I went back and did a non-surgical sports medicine fellowship. And I currently now I work in the hospital for a special surgery up in New York my practices, a lot of endurance patients, and a lot of acute injuries and all that.
1: I'm assuming that because of your personal interest in endurance athletes and athletics in general, that's played a role in you deciding that this was going to be your path.
0: It has, yeah. Even when I was a resident years ago in emergency medicine, I sort of kicked around the idea of doing a sports fellowship and I just didn't do it right away at my time doing it. But yeah, there was always kind of an interest. I was always jumping in and trying to do, you know, cover some sporting events and, you know, whether it was helping out with the cycling race or something like that from the medicine side, or if I wasn't running in a local running race, trying to do some of the medicine side of that. So yeah, it was always on the sort of on the, at least ideas of what I wanted to do in life and how I wanted to get my focus. And it's been a nice way to do it.
1: So do you have people that are constantly asking you for advice, like your neighbors and your running sometimes, buddies? Sometimes. And- <laughs> sometimes. You know,
0: I'm always happy to help out. It's fun, you know, what I do, but it's also what I'm interested in. So I enjoy it. That's know, awesome. I can I'm always happy to talk about, you know, the pros and cons of running shoes for injury prevention and things like that. So.
1: You're a good person to know. <laughs> <laughs> but- yeah, I'm sure. Yes. So I have noticed, and I'm wondering if you have seen this too, that it seems to be a trend now for people trying, people wanting to do back-to-back marathons or marathons in close proximity to each other. And I guess how I define that is like shorter than a typical 16 to 20 week marathon cycle. So I'm not saying like, you know, you run one and then you turn around the next day and run another one or even the next week, but like within several weeks or even just a couple months of one another. Have you been seeing this?
0: I have quite a bit in my practice. Yeah. And I don't know exactly why, and I'm not sure when it started, but yeah, definitely, at least in the last few years, I certainly have seen an uptick in that. And, you know, speculation, maybe it has something to do with all the races being clumped in the fall the past few years. There certainly, as we got back to these mass start events, we certainly ended up with them all in one particular fall a year ago. And I don't know if that really inspired people to cram in as many marathons as they could or what I definitely see a fair amount of that. I see people in the office who come in, if they didn't have the performance they wanted, deciding that, well, I'll just go run another one in three weeks or four weeks or a month or and things like that. And I don't remember seeing that quite as much as we do now.
1: Yeah, that's definitely something that I've seen that if you don't hit your A goal when you're running a race, then you're like, okay, well, I'll just try again. Yeah. Okay. So let's start there. If that is what happens, let's start with the good stuff. Are there pros to doing that as far as maybe perhaps your fitness boost or, you know, your the strength, like your muscular skeletal strength, from, you know, enduring that long right. event and then turning around three weeks later, like that would be your peak run. Are there benefits to doing that?
0: There's not a lot, unfortunately. (laughs) The flip side of this discussion could be a little bit more involved. You know, so, but overall, it can work for people, right? If, particularly if somebody is having a bad day, you know, and the one we saw in my, sort of my neck of the woods, one incident where this comes up, you know, at least the last two falls has been running New York City and then switching and running the Philadelphia Marathon two weeks later, because they're always two weeks apart. You know, if you decide early on in the New York City Marathon that this isn't, it's just not my, things aren't going quite like I wanted them to, you know, I'm just going to dial it back. I'm going to take it easy. This is just going to be a long run and I'm going to make sure that I'm I'm not too beat up after the race. Then it's not unreasonable to think about two or three weeks later, considering that your race and just shifting that a race and the, the training has been done. It's still a little bit difficult though you know, you can walk 26 miles and beat yourself up pretty good. So even taking a marathon slow is still a really big effort for people to do. Even if you're really fit, it still takes a lot out of you, it's still taxing to the body. So the ones in that case that space it out a little bit more, maybe a little better off because you don't push it too hard, you can recover pretty quick. And you can still do the race off of those performance benefits from the build up and the training for the first race. But yeah, overall, it's tough to give a lot of positives for that <laughs> scenario, unfortunately. i uh, giving away the rest of this talk already, aren't I? <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, it's just the physiologic load of running a marathon can be really tough. It can be tough to recover. So you have to be really careful. Finding all those positive things to come, you know, and the, the reasons to do it are a little bit less than the reasons not to potentially. But it doesn't mean it's an unreasonable thing to do. It just means that you have to really think through it group important.
1: Let's talk about the physiological demands and well damage that is done. I mean, I know yeah. everything from like, I mean, your liver, your heart, your yeah. muscles, they're all damaged. Right. Can you talk about what happens to our bodies when we run a marathon?
0: Yeah. So there's a few different physiologic systems that are affected pretty significantly, right? Just so first off your energy stores are or it's, for lack of a better I'm putting it completely depleted. Right. I mean, you use up everything you have and then some, which is why you need to replenish on During the race, you get a significant amount of muscle breakdown. You see things like your total CK, which is one of the enzymes that goes up in your bloodstream with muscle breakdown that can go up incredibly high after a marathon. And it could stay high for, you know, days to a week or more after the marathon, even after the muscle soreness is gone, you can still have elevation of that. Your kidneys are involved in clearing that. So your kidneys are working harder for that. You're dehydrated. You're trying to retain one and recuperate fluid loss. You're right, your liver and your heart are both affected significantly as well. You know, cortisol levels go up significantly post-marathon. You're at an increased risk of getting the cold or flu or viral illnesses, which, you know, we know there's plenty of data to show that most, you know, we're dealing with a very healthy population in theory that runs marathon, right? And that healthy population has a significant increase in picking up whether it's the common cold or other viral illnesses in those first several weeks after marathon. And It's because your immune system is down. So you're right. Every system gets affected.
1: And what is the do you know the time scale of how long it takes for all these systems to be fully recovered?
0: So we don't know an exact time scale. Generally, you know, a lot of people use that gauge of when do I feel good? When am I no longer sore? Well, we know it extends beyond that. We know that, you okay. know, the inflammatory markers that we can test for are up well beyond when the soreness of muscles goes away. You know, if you're sore for three or four days, those markers may be high for a week to ten days. So it's beyond when you necessarily start feeling better, and yeah, there has been some speculation it can be a month or more before you fully are recovered with adequate rest the load of a marathon it's a long way to run it
1: yeah. is, and so with that in mind, so let's say for a, like a, at least four weeks, like mm-hmm. what if somebody races a marathon but it doesn't go how they want, and then they wait should they? wait at least four weeks or even still like to take you know four weeks of low to light mileage and then jump back into a marathon you know six to eight weeks after your previous marathon is that still too risky not too risky but risky i should say
0: so you have to go into that with the mindset the second one may not go great either you just don't know there is always that If you're lucky and you recover well, and, you know, you take care of yourself and you really focus a lot on recovery, there's always the chance that it's going to go really well. And, you know, you've recovered quick enough and you get those performance benefits. That means getting a lot of sleep, you know, normal or much more than we normally get. I know a lot of my runs are early in the morning or in the evening, you know, when, when you probably should be sleeping for recovery drinking plenty of fluids, eating well, after the first race, you need to, particularly if you know you're going to do that, you really need to focus on getting your nutrients back in, you know, pretty much from when you cross the finish line to start rehydrating and start focusing on that recovery like you should anyway. And it can go very well. You know, I know I sort of downplay, I don't want to necessarily downplay the potential for the whole thing to work out, but it is a little bit risky that it's just not going to go well. You don't run the risk of really hurting yourself per se, you run the risk of not feeling well, negative performance because of it. You can get into the risk of potential injury and stuff if you just jumped right back into training, but there are ways to do it if you've got to do it. And that's usually involves not doing quite the training load for that second marathon. That gap needs to be more of a focus on recovery. Your long runs between the two marathons may not exceed twelve miles or so, thirteen miles, not running more than a half marathon in training for that. You may skip pretty much any intensity work and really just focus on Trying to recover and get your legs back. So, and there are tricks you can do to try and speed that up.
1: Would love to hear those. <laughs> so, cross training
0: is great, right? You know, you've already got fitness from running. Your legs aren't running well right now because they're a little bit beat up. So, getting in the pool and swimming, I mean, it sound like the triathlon bias here, right? Getting on a bike <laughs> and riding a bike, I am a big proponent of, and I advocate a lot of my patients for numerous different issues to consider deep water pool run. You know, admittedly, most of my patients or runners that I've advocated doing that or for injury rehab or to maintain running through an injury or for recovery, but it can even be something that has, it's known to have pretty good performance benefits just from adding an your regular training anyway, but getting in the deep end of a pool with a flotation belt and, you know, running laps in the pool is low impact. It's essentially zero impact. And you also get the compression from the water, which is great for helping, you know, sort of venous return from the legs and things like that. You know, if I was trying to stack two marathons fairly close, then my first few runs would almost definitely be in the pool like that.
1: Yes, I've tried aqua jogging. Yeah. I've dealt with several injuries yeah. and mentally it's hard. It is hard.
0: Yeah. You go slow, everybody swims past you. You yes, feel a little yes. bit silly bobbing up and down in the water. Yeah. So <laughs> it is mentally very difficult. So,
1: yes, uh, you probably just needed to embrace it. More. Yeah. So, <laughs> okay. So say, I'm assuming that a lot of runners that are listening to this are probably thinking, well, if I just run a marathon, if I'm in it, I start it and I'm like, this is not my day. I'm just going to run it for fun. How is that extra few miles in a marathon than we do in our like peak long Mm -hmm. run that much more demanding? You know, like a lot of people do 20 plus milers several times in their training cycle. So how is that much different?
0: So it's a tough one. Likely you've started out with the goal of it being a good race. So the decision's made that it's not going well partway through. And if it's not going well partway through it's probably for some reason, whether, you know, are you just not feeling great? Have you picked up a little viral illness? Did you not plan your nutrition right? So the reason that you're cutting it back isn't just to schedule another marathon. It's because something's not going right in this one. So you've essentially emptied the tank a little bit early for one reason or another, which is very possibly out of your control, but it means that you're not recovering from the well-prepared long training run that you did at, you know, sort of that long, slow distance training run where you're just accumulating long miles. You went out in the marathon and you went for, you know, what your goal pace was and you partway through whether that's, you know, three, four, five miles in or at the half point or potentially further on, you decided it wasn't working out because something was going wrong. So whatever was causing that and led to that decision, Mean means that you're a little bit behind where you were after a normal training run. Eight.
1: What about the scenario of someone who's just, they just love to run races. Mm-hmm. And so they're not racing. They're not, you know, running and pushing themselves. They're, it's just a too long, slow distance. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, are there risks to that? I mean, if you do one and then turn around, if you do New York and then two weeks later, turn around and do Philly. I mean, are there risks for that or?
0: So that's the setup for the person who's probably the most successful at doing this in the sense, not necessarily in the sense of like they run their fastest time or anything, but of getting through these, you know, multiple close marathons. You know, if the decision is made a year in advance when you signed up for both, that this is my goal and you focus your planning and your training and you focus your recovery between the two marathons and you plan your pace accordingly, that, you know, these, I'm just doing long runs. These are bucket list marathons and my goal is to, be on the starting line and be a finish line, which is great. I think that's fantastic. You still do run the risk of, you know, it's a big load and you're probably not doing much of a training load at any point in your training. So you can get into the overtraining. You know that there are negative performance effects of stacking marathon close together, so, you know, particularly repetitively like that. But, you know, if your goal was that goal, I think if you go in with the mindset of that, that's probably the best outcome as far as being able to do this without doing too much damage.
1: So I guess, you know, if you do that every once in a while, like you said, you know, Mm -hmm. post-COVID, all the majors were stacked close together. Then it's, you know, you might be able to get away with it. right? But if you're, if this is a habit, if you're running six marathons plus a year, is there a good chance that you could be facing injury, overtraining? You
0: certainly could get, yeah, depending on your training and the, we talk about in all sports now, we talk about acute and chronic training loads. We know that sort of that huge spike in the acute training load is probably one of the most significant injury predictors in distance running. And it usually falls about six weeks after that spike in the training load that the injury shows up, so you may do run the risk of, you know, when you're spacing them four to six weeks out or whatever of, you know, whatever happened from that first marathon, you're going to start seeing the negative effects or the overuse injuries showing up while you're running the second one, which is not going to be a good outcome. We know that performance certainly declines with a marathon, you know, with running six marathons a year, you're probably not going to hit your peak performance on any of them, but if you're okay with that, you know, then that's okay. Again, you know, finishing a marathon is not all about you know, the time which is great. But I love the fact that people, more and more people are running marathons and running all over the time wise running, you know, a huge time range. And I think it's fantastic. So if that's the case, I I sort of got off track of your answer there, or your question there a little bit. I apologize. No, but
1: I, la- I <laughs> like doctors so, say that because, you know, so but, many of us, like, we walk into a doctor's office yeah. and they're like, well, you should probably stop running or you can't run with that injury.
0: No, I, yeah. That's and really I tell a lot of my patients, <laughs> I'm not the best person about telling people to stop running. You know, I can find all the articles that'll prove, that'll say that you should keep running with this injury or that, with the exception of a few. Because the health benefits of running, whether you're racing, or not, or just running to run, the health benefits far outweigh the negative effects of not being active.
1: One hundred percent agreed. Of course, that six week mark—that's pretty interesting. Are you able to share more of why you think that is? As far as like, you know, the stress on the tissue and then the remodeling that may or may not occur.
0: So it's spec—you're so that's sort of the answer right there. But it is very much speculation. You know, whether it's muscle or tendon cells, we know that they need—you know—they respond to a stimulus, right? And we know that there's a time frame that it takes to respond to a stimulus. One of the outside of the running perspective, but more in just the general fitness realm. If you go to the gym and you start a weight training program, most people start noticing that they can put more weight on the bar or lift heavier weights around a month or so in, just six weeks. And that's because that's how long it takes those cells to adapt and start to respond to the stimulus. Oftentimes that's why, mm-hmm. you know, when I send somebody to therapy, I usually see them back around the six week mark to see if there's a change. Because there's not usually yeah. a change a week or two in, you haven't had time for it to respond the effect of the acute training load versus your chronic training load is very similar. You know, it's a negative effect, right? Because it's an injury as opposed to a performance gain. But it can actually be, Mm -hmm. you know, it can also be seen in the performance benefits of it. But that four to six week window is oftentimes looked at in both the sports medicine world and the training world. And that's what we're seeing is that same effect. And it really comes down to the ability of muscle and tendon cells to respond to a stimulus.
1: Interesting. Well, and that, of course... Plays into where you want to put your long run. You know, you don't want to put your peak long run too close to the marathon. Yeah. So, if somebody has decided that this is what they want to do, they are going to race a marathon and then they're going to turn around a few weeks later and run a marathon just for fun, or they didn't hit their a goal and they're going to turn around and go for it again. You know, one to two months later, what should they be looking for to make sure that they're doing this? healthily and they're not gonna be facing potentially injury or excessive fatigue or overtraining.
0: The recovered phase. You know, look at it as the training was done. You know, you've logged the miles, you've put the training in for that first marathon. The gap in between the two really should be about recovering from the first marathon, getting plenty of sleep, rehydrating and replenishing you know, all the nutrients lost in that marathon early on, trying to eat a well balanced diet, you know not trying to crash lose weight or anything like that in between the, you know, if anything, they anything try to fill back <laughs> up on, you know, fill the tank back up basically. And then as far as the training goes, it's really about, you know, again, we had talked a little bit earlier, you know, some cross training, the low impact stuff to get those muscles moving, mobilize the muscles a little bit, and then start some light training. You don't need that really long run. You know, you probably, if it's four to six weeks between marathon. You probably don't need anything more than maybe 12 to 13 miles or so. at most. You probably don't need a huge amount of intensity work, maybe just a little bit of, you know, to get the legs picked up and as they're starting to feel better, and it's getting closer. But it's really about, you know, focus on recovery and getting ready for that next one, not necessarily trying to add a lot of performance gains to it or strength gains to it, because that's where you can actually start to have a negative effect and start to end up with a negative performance from it.
1: And if your state, if you still feel lethargic on your runs or just overall more tired than mm-hmm. usual would you recommend not to do the second marathon
0: yeah i think you have to sort of it's always hard to tell people not to run it if things you know mm-hmm. if you're really feeling kind of down about the running if you've got some nagging do i have a little overuse injury here or there it's certainly not a bad decision to skip out on it. it is always a little bit of a personal decision if there's no red flags, then you can't do it. Yeah. And there's very few red flags in where we tell you flat out, you, uh, you know, you take aside from stress fractures, I very rarely tell people. So, in general, I don't necessarily tell them they absolutely can't do it, but you definitely have to change your goals and your expectations if you're still feeling that the weather or a little bit backed up, for like a better way of putting it from, it, from the first miracle.
1: Yeah, I feel like the period in between is essentially a reverse taper in a way.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's a really good way to put it. So, yeah.
1: And if it is something that you decide to do, you think of the first marathon as your long run. And then you just, and so the hay is in the barn. And then, yes, yeah. yeah, so you just really focus yep. on recovering, getting your glycogen stores back, just yep. filling everything yeah. back up. Yeah. You were completely depleted.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Is there anything that I didn't ask you that I should have?
0: I don't think so. I think we kind of covered the subject pretty well. So,
1: well, did I leave I anything else? So. No, I don't good. think good. so. I love, yeah. I feel like you're very rare in that you love to keep runners running. I just think that's like so awesome because
0: there's more it of us out there, there now than we used to be. Yeah. Yes. That's which for sure. So, that's for yeah. sure. Yeah. There's definitely yeah. a change in the sports medicine world in paper, I think, which is great.
1: Yes, me too. Yes. So much. I mean, I was just talking to somebody before this. He was like, yeah, I used to run all the time, but I have bad knees and the doctor told me to stop and I was really sorry. I just really miss it. And I was like, no, but you can. Yeah, you can. (laughs) There's plenty
0: of evidence to support that. So (laughs)
1: Let's talk about this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time and sharing your knowledge with us. My pleasure. Bye. Thank you. Thank you, Todd. And thank you all for listening to The Passionate Runner. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any of the resources we mentioned are available at runnerclick.com podcast. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from the episodes, we would love to see a rating and review from you. You can do that where you listen to your podcast or head to ratethispodcast.com slash The Passionate Runner. And we'll read those out on future episodes. Talk to you next time.